I, I'd say my biggest shock was um, I expected to see Germany, right? Much more advanced. I'm going to see a lot of technology. I'm going to see a lot of digitization. I'm going to see incredible things all the time. But but uh, but for me, it was the complete opposite, right? Like uh, nothing really works. <laughs> you, you're, you send faxes. I have never written a letter in my life before I landed in Germany. Welcome listeners. This is another product podcast where we share our product experiences navigating EU tech as non-EU product people. My name is Enoch. My name is David. And this is our show. Welcome listeners to this special, amazing and sexy episode of another product podcast. It's a very special one for us. We have a really um, cool guest. His name is Mohamed Sela. He's originally from Egypt, not to be confused with the best Egyptian soccer slash football player, Mohamed Tella, who is considered the GOAT of African football player of all time. But our Mohamed is considered one of the best African product manager of all time. He's known for his execution and product vision. He is a senior director, product manager at Opera. Prior, he was a senior product manager at Autoscout and Babel. And... He's very special guest because he's going to be soon to be dad. Congrats, Mohammed. Today, we're going to go over Mohammed's product origin story, his role as a senior director, product manager at Opera, and his recent product launches. The buzzword here is Opera AI Aria. Of course, there's other products that uh, Mohammed launched. Mohammed, welcome to the show. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Mohammed. just first things first. I hope I didn't butcher the intro, but is there anything that you want to add to this intro? Yeah, that was a great intro. First of all, yeah, I get uh, I get into a lot of trouble sometimes because of my name. It's uh, Sometimes it helps me to get around things, but sometimes it gets me in trouble because, uh, you know, everyone either like loves Mohamed Salah, the football player, or... Some people don't particularly like him if they uh, like other other teams. So uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. So um, so yeah, I can tell you about about myself. So um, so I'm basically um, I'm from Cairo, Egypt. So uh, a city of um, or like a country of more than a hundred million people. Cairo is like one of the biggest cities. It's um, maybe thirty million people now. Um, it's um, it was crazy when I started my life there because it's um, I joined the um, computer science faculty um, like a, a university um, a public university and it was just the university was just like um, or, or the faculty was just established at the time so I was from the very early people to join it and I always wanted to be a software engineer and go into developments and programming and uh, and that's what i thought i would be but um, yeah starting kind of this kind of career as a developer um i i i had it like for for a few years um and then um, i kind of established my own company so it was a very uh, very kind of uh, dreams that you have during the university and once you're graduated we just had like a, a small flat four of my friends uh, having like um, this big computers, it was uh, it was actually 2002, so uh, there wasn't an LCD at the time. So you can imagine this ugly, big, huge screens and uh, and computers in in a flat, right? That's how you do it in a garage in the US, but uh, 
it was Egypt. So we just like rent a flat, start a business. So basically that's how I started. Um, uh, spend, uh, spend a few years on, um, on my startup and, uh, went, um, after that into, um, into, into business and shifted from like development into, um, you, you can say like uh, management in general. So I spent, um, I spent a few years working in different companies in Egypt. That's before I traveled, um, went to Istanbul, lived there for around six, six years. And then I traveled to, um, to Berlin, uh, after that, that was maybe four years ago. That's where we want to know more, Mohamed. Um, tell us how was your landing in Berlin? Oh my God. So, um, so Berlin, uh, when I came to Berlin, uh, for my job, that was four years ago and it was actually my first visit to Berlin. I, I actually had very little knowledge or expectations about what to find. So, uh, so as I said, I come from, um, or I lived in two very big cities in Istanbul and Cairo, each city, 30 to 35 million people going to Berlin. It was just the move for me. It was just going like a village. Uh, and because wow. it's it's the smallest city I've actually lived in, right? So, so I was um, I was I was shocked to see it uh, by how calm it is, by how much less people um, are around. And um, but my I, I I'd say my biggest shock was um, I expected to to see Germany, right? Like when you talk to people in Egypt or in Turkey, you say. Germany, it's Europe, it's Western Europe, it's much more advanced. I'm going to see a lot of technology. I'm going to see a lot of digitization. I'm going to see like incredible things all the time. But, but, but for me, it was the complete opposite, right? Like uh, nothing really works. <laughs> Everything here is, um, is using like um, communication with government. You write letters, you're, you, you're, you send faxes. I have, I have never, just a quick fact about myself, I have never written a letter in my life before I landed in Germany. So, uh, so that was uh, for I me. I second that. Can totally relate that, Mohamed. I, I also uh, believe it's crazy that I had to learn how to send a letter in, in, in the 2000s. Um, so tell us, I'm curious, how did you manage to make that call, right? Did you have first an offer and then you decided to move to Berlin? Why Berlin? If so, tell us more about that. Yeah, so um, so when I lived in Istanbul, um, I, I had to relocate there in the first place because of uh, the job for for my company. I was working for the Yellow Pages at the time, and then I had a job in uh, in Istanbul office. So that was the main relocation. But then after I decided to leave the company and um, and go work in uh, in some other place. It was a marketplace, by the way. So um, my opportunities there were very limited because with, without the knowledge of the language, it's, um, it's really hard to get any job there because it's not very international, right? So uh, basically, I was uh, trying to look for, uh, for a job in, uh, in one of two, two places. My, my first choice was the Silicon Valley, um, and then my second choice was Berlin uh, because I was looking at the biggest um, kind of tech cities in the world where... I can go and have more opportunities, grow my career, and not just be limited um, to like certain language or to certain kind of jobs, right? Um, luckily, I didn't go to the U.S. because Trump was the president. Nobody wanted to be there. <laughs> Another <laughs> Trump fan. 
especially when your name is Muhammad, right? Like uh, I, would, I would probably pass the customs, <laughs> but um, but yeah, uh, Berlin was um, was for me. I uh, I had actually a few colleagues who moved from uh, from Istanbul to Berlin, so it was um, it was good to talk to them to know a bit about their experience. Uh, about how um, how their life is simple and how international Berlin as a city was. Um, one of the advices I got at the time was, um, listen, you don't need to learn German because everybody speaks mm. English. And to an extent, that's true. But um, I would say like learning from my experience in uh, living in Turkey for six years without speaking the language, moving to Berlin, first thing I did was learning German to to be able again to um, to communicate better and um, and be able to to adopt my place in, in the city. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because well, you had that advice that Berlin doesn't you don't need to learn German to live in Berlin. But out of us three, probably you speak the German the most. Your first job, if I understand correctly, in Berlin was Babbel, which is a language learning app. Correct. Yes, so um, so I applied for that job. Um, I, I got I got through like um, an interview process, right? I applied for many jobs, right? Babel was one of them, and um, and basically the the process was was really simple to come here. It, uh, so it was a set of interviews that I passed, and then um, after that they they actually invited me to come and uh, and visit the city and have like a face to face interview because that was before COVID times. Mm-hmm. But um, again, it's not easy for me to um, to get uh, get a visa. The company just helped me and had like uh, a relocation plan, so so things were uh, were pretty easy. And I just remember coming um, coming to Berlin on uh, on a on a Saturday and actually starting my job on a Monday. So um, I didn't spend any time to to prepare and I just jumped in. That's interesting, given that um, sometimes here you. You hire someone is gonna sound like two to three months because of notice period of the previous company, but um, then what I what I can understand from 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 this Mohammed is that you actually started interviewing from Istanbul, so you didn't move here first, right? You were doing that from Istanbul, is that right? Yeah, I had I had my interviews in in Istanbul, and then I I came. I think the interview process took around uh, maybe three to four weeks. And then six weeks later, I, I was here. So it was pretty fast. Did the company help you to process the visa thing? Um, how was that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I visited the German embassy only one time to do the papers, and that was it. So they, uh, they prepared everything for me. They said, this is the documents that you'll need. Uh, you know, you need to get your, um, your degree, kind of an approval to make sure it's accepted in the country. And then that was uh, pretty easy to do. And I think that's the difference, right? And between US, EU, right? Um, when I was in US, I had an H-1B visa, working visa. I had my separate lawyer to go through. You have to be proactive. You have to have your own lawyer to figure out the visa situation. Whereas in EU, it doesn't matter if you're from Egypt, from Argentina or Korea, they can handle it for you, right? So... Don't be shy interviewing in these European countries because they they can provide you with information and support when it comes to coming to EU. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest benefits when it comes to relocating uh, for an EU company. They already work with these third parties. And when it comes to costs, even, um, they save 
at the end because you will say, well, they are going through all this hassle to relocate me, but then they know as well that they can hire people abroad from outside the EU um, cheaper than if we were hiring locally, right? Um, it's interesting that we have the same um, uh, thinking process, Mohamed. I also had US first as my option and, you know, Trump and, and France were not making things very easy and then Berlin was my second best option, right? Cool. And before we move on to the next section, there's one thing that I want to um, deep dive a little bit more and is, you know, there's a very different cultural um, aspect of changing countries already. But uh, I would say that even more in, in, in Berlin. So tell me how different from for, for you was when you moved from Istanbul to Berlin in that aspect. Yeah, that's that's interesting, right? Like it's um, Berlin is a very different uh, work culture from uh, from Cairo or, or from Istanbul. So um, so I would say like um, Istanbul and Cairo have a lot of common, which is kind of you're thinking about like um, kind of Eastern countries where um, people are usually very welcoming. People are, are very very warm. You you can just like make friends uh, and tell your entire personal life to to a taxi driver that you spend 15 minutes with. Probably it's longer than 15 minutes in Cairo. You probably have an one hour to be able to go from a place to another. Um, but yeah, but in Berlin it's kind of um, you you have like um, let's say a lot of friends that are like kind of weak friends, but you don't get to see them a lot of, at weekends. So there's kind of like more kind of boundaries to be able to make like good friends or to be able to, um, you know, um, do something that's that's meaningful. It takes much more, much more effort and much more time, right? So um, to do this kind of relationships, it's always more of like a conscious decision. But but above all, I would say that's that's not the main culture shock. The main culture shock for me is uh, kind of the the, the work life balance in Berlin. So um, so you work you just work eight hours a day, right? But uh, in in Cairo or in Istanbul, if you work less than 10, 12 hours a day, you you're you're considered lazy, right? So you're slacking. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can't just leave office at, at six. Usually, people leave office at seven, at eight, and the longer you stay, the the better employee you are. So uh, here, it was totally different. Yeah, we talked about in previous episodes, like there is life besides work, right? And the work does not define you. The European mindset, maybe it's a German mindset and definitely agree with you on that. Work-life balance definitely is the big highlight, I would say. Well, Mohamed, let's move on to the next section and let's talk a little bit about your work at Opera. Um, tell us a bit more what you're doing there um, and then we can start talking about the different um, strategic initiatives at Opera. So I have a story how how I, I joined Opera in the position where I am actually. So when I when I was applying for Opera, I I applied for for a position as uh, as a director of um, of e-commerce. That that was actually the position that I applied for. So um, maybe um, maybe Opera as a browser, um, it's um, it's. Um, a lot of people know what Opera is. A lot of people have used it in the past over their, um, their like when smartphones were still new and there was like uh, not very good internet connections. A lot of people have tried like this Opera Mini, which was a big data saver. 
but maybe a lot of people have not tried Opera recently and uh, and tried what this product is. Um, but to go back to my point, um, I applied as director of uh, of e-commerce and uh, and basically um, when I joined the company on my first day, the I remember the first meeting with uh, with my boss. His his name was John, and uh, he had a meeting with me, and he said, "Congratulations! It's your first day. You've been promoted, and now you are the product director of Opera flagship browser. You are responsible for the entire browser." And that was an incredible shock for me. Uh, it, yeah, being happy, being promoted, but also taking entire responsibility of uh, of a browser that's 25 years old. It's uh, it's a, it's a it's a great responsibility, right? And at the same time, it is exciting, but it's also very scary. How much traffic, world traffic, are using um, Opera? I mean, you'd be surprised how, how many people use Opera. So um, right now we have around 380 million uh, active users every month. So that's that's a huge number, right? So um, so when you think about uh, about the numbers, basically, you have um, like the, the the browser market is more of um, of a distribution kind of setup market. So when you buy a computer, whether it's a Mac or whether it's a it's a Windows machine. It comes pre-packed with a browser, right? Which which is Edge or Safari, and and we know that um, kind of the main use for the Edge browser is to download Chrome. Because when you go to Google, first thing mm-hmm. Google says, download Chrome, and then you download it, and then you start using it. Why? Because it's Google, right? And because people also did not like Internet Explorer, so um, Edge is kind of like. Um, at least not, not these days. Edge these days is a much better product, but it used to be more of a product that uh, people did not associate with uh, with a cool or uh, a good product to use. So um, so after you do this kind of um, breakdown of, um, of a default browser, then you end up with a browser of choice. That's either Opera or Firefox or uh, maybe more... Uh, new kinds of browsers that are out there. So I guess in that sense as well, people downloading Opera because you don't have these, you know, you don't have these companies using their network effects to make you download their own browser has needs a little bit of a higher intent for someone to look for Opera and use it. And when it comes, when, when I think about Opera, gaming comes to mind. Can you tell me a little bit more about the audience that uses Opera? In general, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so one of the things about Opera is that um, it, it thinks about the users um, as different segments, and we're we're kind of having different browsers for 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 each segment. So, right now, we have um, the main flagship browser, and we have the GX browser, which is a gaming browser, and then we also have a browser a browser that's being tested right now, which is a is a crypto browser. So, um, so gaming, um, gaming was, um, was a new, um, a new idea, basically like, um, gamers have, uh, have kind of very specific needs when it comes to a browser and, uh, it's kind of not a browser where you, where you play games inside the browser that, that wasn't meant to be because we know that most gamers play games outside of the browser, but, but it's more of a lifestyle thing, right? So you're able um, you're able to um, to first of all to to have some functional things like you can control your, your like CPU usage and RAM usage that's used by the browser. So you actually free up resources for uh, for your games. But most of all, when it comes to lifestyle, we're talking about a browser that can be modded. So you can have like 
a certain mod on that browser that applies different colors and effects and music. So the moment you start even typing something into a search box or into an address bar, you, you, you hear this sound of like mechanical keyboard typing and you hear the sound effects that are being applied. So according to what you're doing, if you're like into an intense mode, the music becomes more intense. When you're more relaxed, the music's much more relaxed. So it's it's kind of a full experience. And even like the little things such as integrations with, uh, um, you know, RGB mouse and keyboards, you can configure your browser to have like the same color. So you have like a blue color keyboard and mouse, and then your browser is also blue. So it kind of integrates all this kind of like dark theme, color color schemes and all these things together in one place. So um, so yeah, so it's it's a more of like um, an integrated uh, experience. And, um, and I would say it's not just gaming, it's also more towards the younger audiences. So um, I don't know if you have um, somebody in your family who's like, maybe 10 to 16 years old, it's very likely they, they are actually using uh, GX or have heard about it from a friend. So word of the mouse is kind of one of the most common things. And PewDiePie is sponsoring Oprah GX. So when I saw that, I'm like, wow, PewDiePie, Oprah GX, like Mohammed, like you guys made it. You, you know, kids will love you guys. But um, we had a campaign with Exhibit that was pretty cool. So you have the crypto browser, you have Opera GX, the gaming, Opera One. To have these different browsers, right, and technically different products or variation of the product, I feel like the organization needs to be very unique, right? Can you tell us more about, like, under the hood, the product leadership or the organization that you work at? How do you make decisions? How can you move fast or you don't move fast? What makes it, you know, better uh, than these big, companies so, so so yeah so so, so i think I, I think you asked a few questions i can i can try to unpack it but for me like if i think if i if i say there are two things i can mention about why opera is still a product that's alive today it's it's two things number one opera is a company that has innovation in its dna so innovation is really really important it's a word that's adopted by every person in the company so whether it's an engineer that's working on something or marketing that are building like a story narrative about our next launch or, you know, somebody in uh, in product who's, um, who's building an experience and, and, and not a feature, right? Mm. So, so Opera has been known historically as being like a, a feature-packed product. It's, it's not a, a minimalist product. If you're a person that wants minimalism, Opera is not for you. Opera mm. um, is packed with like all different kinds of sets and tools and integrations that will really give you power to to to, to have something that's unique for you. And, and it's also a personal browser, right? So most of people don't use it for work, but more of using it for, for their private life, right? So um, innovation, this is uh, this is really, uh, really something. And maybe we'll have some time to talk about it in, in details uh, more today about our innovation process. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, is engineering. So browsers is a very very complex um, product, um, in engineering wise. Um, most, most of the um, uh, browsers that you see in the market are based on on Chromium. So the Chromium is yep. is the is the source or um, uh, code project that's um, you can build browsers with. So Opera, obviously Chrome and uh, and Edge and some other browsers are based on it. Safari is not because they build their own and 
Firefox uh, are also based on um, uh, Mozilla, their, their own uh, their own kind of innovation. But one thing that makes our uh, process work very well is that we have a core team. So we have a kind of a core engineering team that's importing Chrome. There is there is new version of Chrome coming every like few days, right? And and we have to make sure that we're always updated because that's all the security patches and so on. So this is just like um, like. Uh, over 100 engineers that are just like working in, in this area. And um, they are very fast, very efficient. And then you have the other teams. So we have a team that's working on the, the desktop browser, the flagship, that's my team. And then you have another team that's working on GX, another team for crypto. And then we have different teams for mobile and different teams for uh, for desktop. So so, um, so the, they are actually even different business units, right? So, um, so this structure um, is, is very fast. It's very autonomous. It helps you to, um, to innovate and move fast. But at the same time, um, it's not ideal when it comes to making sure that mobile and desktop product stay uh, on the same level, right? So, you, so sometimes you have more innovations in one or, one or either of two directions, and then the other part is always trying to catch up. Sorry, I'm actually curious. Um, you said 100 employees working on core, right? How big is the company? I can ask these dumb questions for dumb listeners like me. How big is, how many employees you have? Um, are they profitable? Is Opera profitable? How do you afford PewDiePie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. So, so Opera is around 600 people um, split um, maybe in 15 countries. Like we have like... Uh, five or six main offices, but we also have um, a lot of remote workers from, from different places. And um, when it comes to business model, uh, actually browsers are one of the most profitable businesses out there. Like I don't want to say like it's a, it's a cash printing machine uh, because what, what you do, basically you have integrations and you have agreements with, um, with different search engines. And um, when, when people do a search from within the browser, then you kind of get a revenue share on that. Mm. So, um, so when you think about it, like when you, when you multiply like your number of users or the number of searches that happens within a browser, um, even if you have like um, a small market share, um, it, it is still a significant amount. Uh, also, browsers have other like revenue sources, uh, in terms of advertising, but um, for advertising, we're also very um, strict on that because we're uh, also have our um, like privacy and uh, and security rules, and we have like an ad blocker that's built into the browser. So we have to be really careful into into that and make sure that advertising is just kept minimum, and you don't share any uh, information or any data or any tracking with the third parties. What was your first? goal your first milestone how how do you you know get started on what you're going working today and 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 yeah and the approach so so first thing i, I had like 25 years of catching up to do right <laughs> so uh, basically uh, i want to know the product right like uh, getting kind of onboarded uh, is is one of the most important things when you join a company right and I've been onboarded a lot in, in different jobs. And usually onboarding is a process like where you say, okay, I'm going to learn about this in the first 30 days and then the first 60 days. 
I'm gonna, um, you know, try to change little things and and do some things to to learn or like break things. And after 90 days, I'm kind of like fully on board, and then I can go with full speed. This does not work like this at Opera. At, at Opera, you need around six months to get onboarded on what you're doing. So, um, so for me, it was more like the first few months were more about okay, let's uh, break things down into areas of like um, you know acquisition, uh, activation, retention. So kind of like working with with a standard kind of like an R funnel just to make sure things are, are in place, everything is working fine, I get to understand the product, right? So, so that was for um, maybe for the first uh, three, four months. And then after that, we, uh, we started working on, uh, on innovation-based projects. So, um, mm-hmm. so it was more about, um, okay, so the goal of the company is not just to like make money and, uh, and be able to, um, to, um, to do the, the growth and development and acquire users and stay relevant. These are all very important. But as I said, Opera um, DNA is about innovation. And, and what that means is um, Opera has, has always been the company that's been like making certain inventions. So tabs in a browser was something that they invented a while ago. They also invented the technology CSS, right? So, so the web as we know today um, was all kind of different innovations. And this kind of, of things also do not work in kind of a standard, um, um, you know, uh, opportunity solution tree or like in standard discovery problem where you start saying, okay, I have this user problem. I'm going to uh, try to understand it. I interview users and then I put these solutions and then I start to fix it, right? That That's kind of what we learned, right, in, into a product development process mm-hmm. or product discovery process. Innovation was um, was a, a bit of a different engine where, where you actually start by saying, hey, um, this is how people feel about the product. These are the emotions of people while using the product then I'm, I'm just go, going to, 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 to focus into that. I'm going to focus into the experience. I'm going to come up with a complete new invention, a complete new way for people to do things. So you have to actually rethink the very basics that people have been using for a long time. Huh. Now, that is interesting because, you know, you're basically coming up with a fresh fresh perspective, right? And saying, well, you know, let's just start from first principles. Let's understand how how far are we for the from the ideal experience. So how was one the uh, thought process of coming up with something like a redesign, like thinking about the experience uh, revamp, so to speak, and then how did you sell that one, right? Because this is not about, you know, incremental improvements and and get feedback soon and then adjust this is a like a full redesign which sometimes can be a nightmare it, it, it is it is a full and um, full redesign process and it's uh, it's kind of similar to way where um, some of the older industries work like automotive and it's also some of um, some of way where you you get to work in some companies like like Apple right? So they, uh, they work for maybe three months, six months, nine months on a product that nobody has seen, and then they, they launch it, right? So that's more of, uh, of what we do. So, um, 
So our uh, our product uh, launch life cycle for uh, for the latest Opera One product has been around six months, where we spent two months on ideations, ideations coming up with uh, with designs, having a lot of workshops, uh, designing, uh, creating, right, and then after this, from uh, going from uh, into this ideation process, you go more into into kind of like building mode where you're. You're building something, you're developing it, you're creating it, you're having some demos out there to try it. And then after that, you go into the shipping mode where you start uh, launching the product and letting users try it. And um, we're going to enter into the like the fourth step, um, hopefully in a few weeks, when we go into kind of the, the uh, iteration or optimization mode where we, we uh, try to, to fix what's been done. So, so to answer you, uh, David, on, on that question, so what, what did we sit in a workshop and did we start with like a blank slate and say, hey, today we're here, we're going to innovate something new that nobody did. It, it, was, it was like that. It, it was literally like that. <laughs> Listen, we could discuss user problems for the next six months, right? We already know them. We, we have like all these problems. We have all these comments from users. But but again, if you ask users uh, what they want, we know we know their answer, right? Um, they they'll just want like uh, faster horses, right? So 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 it's um, it was more into like uh, actually let's start um, with uh, with the user emotions, how they feel about the product, and and for me when I use the browser, my biggest emotion. Is, is that I'm overwhelmed because I'm um, I'm a person um, I don't know if you if you like to open many tabs in the browser, but I end up opening so many tabs. I'm a you hoarder. Should my, you should <laughs> see my browser. And by the way, I'm not using one browser only, nor one window only. So right. definitely a pain point. I would I have an assumption or conspiracy theory. Unless you're zoomer, un, unless you're a boomer. You need to have at least thirty tabs, minimum. Yeah, and it, it's also the multitasking, right? If you if you think about it, like like you you open an article to read, so usually you open it, but you don't read it. You start doing other stuff, but you want to get back to it. And if you finish reading it, usually you don't close it because if you like it, you you would just like to maybe bookmark it or save it or just leave it open to decide what you're gonna do with. So, so actually, there is no reason whatsoever to close any tab unless it's a completely useless tab. And, and mm-hmm. most of the tabs are open in your browser are not useless, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so, so the thing here is I did not want to educate users or tell them from now on, you should become more organized and I'm going to help you become more organized because that's not life, right? Mm-hmm. We decided the other way around, which is to embrace the mess. Uh, open 50 tabs, right? But I'm just going to make it easy for you, first of all, to understand what's open by just like looking at, at your tab strip to know what's what's there. Um, and then the second thing is um, I'll just also make it, uh, make it easy for you to uh, be able to like close things or focus into certain things. And, um, and that's, um, that's kind of um, uh, was, was the new idea that we came up with for, for the Opera One browser. Yeah, and let's talk about that big thing that Opera did. Type in Opera AI or Opera Aria. You see TechCrunch, The Verge, and Gadget writing about articles and articles about Opera browser um, with ChatGPT implementation. Can you tell me more about what 
people were talking about you versus what this really product is. What are the things yeah. that let's say the journalists got it wrong? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so it's 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 very common these days, like uh, like for everyone to think that it's all about Chat GPT, right? Um, so, uh, so it's funny. Like when I when I work to when I talk to somebody about like AI that's uh, into our browser, they they always mention things about like uh, Chat GPT. They also talk about things like uh, like like what what Edge did uh, and and Bing. They say also they are using Chat GPT. Actually, actually, that's not true. Right? Like, um, we have uh, we have our our own collaboration with OpenAI, and what they do is basically they uh, they give you access to to their API, um, and then using this API, you can go and build your your own tools around it. Right? So uh, you you can choose like whether it's a very ChatGPT version like three, three point five, four. Everyone comes with with its own like pricing model, and uh, it's actually just like today you can think about it as it's just like a building block, right? So similar to uh, so AWS, right? It's a set of APIs. Uh, it's it's going to have a cost for you. It's going to have like actually significant cost when whenever you ramp up your users who are, who are using it, and and kind of everyone is using it now. So so the question is is not about whether you're using ChatGPT or not, and and that's actually the what kind of the main focus of most of the articles in the media are all talking about. Yeah, that's um, that's uh, generative AI, and, and this browser has ChatGPT in it, and and it's kind of getting boring as well, right? Like it's just like people sound like a broken record at this point. So 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 what we did is is more into um, is more into a vision that we, we we actually want to build an assistant inside the browser that that goes beyond that. Um, so an assistant that kind of understands. How how you're working in the browser, you can communicate with that assistant. That assistant can can is not just going to provide you information and details like where should I have like lunch for five people in Berlin in a nice sushi place on a on a Friday evening, right? It's 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 not just like that. It's more about also doing things in uh, in in browsing, being able to open tabs, compare products, and uh, and and we have like um, kind of. Um, um, I can't talk about everything because we haven't released everything yet, mm-hmm. but but it's more about being able to uh, to to talk to an assistant that also have a personality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ChatGPT d- does not have a personality. Uh, also, when when Siri started in, in in Apple, it was also a conscious conscious decision from Apple that Siri should not not have a personality, right? It's it's kind of um, like a, like a neutral uh, one, right? Um, so we want to have this um, this uh, browser assistant with a personality that actually helps you um, to accomplish like your your browsing tasks, but also becomes like a, kind of a source of inspiration for you. And and to do that, you actually have to build your own engine, right? So you just take the building block, which is the API, and then you build multiple layers into that. Um, also, um, you know that the main problem with uh, with OpenAI is that their knowledge is outdated. Even if you use the latest models, it's it's also um, doesn't have uh, trained up uh, up to date data, and that's also not a problem that we expect to be solved soon. Because like training takes a lot of time and effort, so they cannot just train the model every day or every hour. That's something that there isn't Super like expensive. Enough. Yeah, it, m- maybe it happens in a few years, right? But but not today. Um, so this means we had to, to also build a layer that uh, gets information from web and from search engines and combine that 
with other things that we have like new service, like uh, we have our own football service to get like latest scores and things into that and put all this into into one mixture. And then that became like kind of uh, Aria, the the early access version that that we released. Um, but, But to be honest, like at this point, everyone is thinking about things to do with AI, but nobody has the, the vision how AI is going to shape after a year from now, right? So it's uh, it's just people are just like running after it and trying to catch up and to stay to stay relevant and, and to stay in the game. Because if you don't do something today, you're going to be completely out of the game in a few months. I second you on that one, Mohamed, and I'm going to ask, What's your take on that? My take on uh, on the future of AI. Yes. How do you think a company can capitalize on this AI wave? Yeah, I think I think it's um, what I see today is that a lot of companies are just building things for the sake of just having AI inside the product, and and this makes no sense, right? So for me, it's kind of. Uh, Let's say it's like a fad, right? It's kind of similar to to the apps world, right? When uh, when the App Store was was there, or Google Play Store, and people were just building apps and publishing it in a store just to say, "Hey, I have this app. That's it. We're we're super cool." Um, and then they they get like a lot of coverage on, on things like that, right? And and I see the same thing happening with uh, with generative AI as well, and um, and I think. Um, to, to make that really work, um, each product should think about their own use cases, right? And their own, um, how they integrate um, um, or how they use AI as a tool to be useful within their product, right? So things like uh, Spotify, uh, personal DJ, that's that's really cool, right? Right, super cool. Uh, uh, I, I was listening to... Um, to uh, actually Lenny's podcast from Gustav, the, C- the CTO slash CPO of Spotify, and he was talking about uh, um, how they use this this personal DJ. And, and their goal was, was pretty simple. Their goal was to, to make sure that uh, they, they take people out of their own bubble and they have a chance to kind of discover new genres of music and discover new artists, right? So this does not happen today with kind of what you have in... Uh, in your uh, recommendation playlists, which which always puts you into this like same bubble, but with your yeah, personal future bubble, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we, we all live in bubbles, right? Whether it's a news bubble, music bubble, uh, but but you, you also need somebody to to tell you, hey, would you like to go a little bit outside this bubble and try something new, which you you might like or you might not like, and and then and then just expands, right? And and that's that's actually a good opportunity. To, uh, to use uh, AI in, uh, in a very useful way. Shout out to Lenny's podcast. Let's collab. Lenny, subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> we'll give you some wisdom as well. Tell me a little bit about the, uh, your future, right? Uh, what excites you at Opera? And also tell me if you're, you see yourself staying in Berlin uh, for a while at least. Yeah, so so interesting you asked this question because actually Opera is a company that's based on Norway. It's not based in Germany. So so actually I'm working in Berlin with a foreign company in Norway, and just Berlin is my uh, is my living place, right? So it's uh, it's kind of um, a nice setup for me. So so it actually gives me the opportunity to uh, to kind of decide where I want to live and where I want to work. 
and um, and actually we have our um, our like biggest offices uh, which has the majority of the engineers is based in in, in Poland uh, in a, in a small city called uh, Wroclaw and um, um, and yeah and, and when I think about Berlin like Berlin for me is uh, um, has has been like uh, a good a good friend for the past four four years has been treating me uh, quite well um, and um, and yeah since I'm gonna be a father soon. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's a good place to, uh, to, you know, send the child to uh, Ikeda, uh, be able to, um, you know, live in kind of this um, social system, which, which has like some good support. But, um, but the way I see it is, um, is that I also want to um, uh, raise my, uh, uh, my child in, uh, in, in my home country. So I want um, at some point to, uh, go back to uh, to Egypt, maybe not uh, maybe not Cairo. Uh, Cairo is a <laughs> very crowded city, uh, but there are. Uh, I, I would like to live by the uh, Red Sea um, in um, like a calm place and just you know be able to do my work remotely from a beach, right? Mm-hmm. And just just enjoy enjoy my life there. So uh, so that's something I'm looking forward to. But with that said, Mohammed, I wanted to talk about more fun, jolly product management experience. Um, this section is called Real PM Shit. So it's like a game show. I can ask you some questions and you have to answer them honestly and as short as possible. First thing that comes to your mind. I like this shit. Let's get right into it. Love it. So most annoying stakeholder. Well, most stakeholders are annoying to a certain extent, but Amen. everyone is trying to do their job. So big tech news such as TechCrunch, The Verge, and Gadget wrote about Opera AI. Which these tech news companies covered Opera AI well, and which covered it horribly? The Verge and TechRadar they they did quite good. Um, TechCrunch was uh, was a bit of uh, disappointing to me because like uh, the the way they wrote it was um, was more like the the I don't know if they have tried the product when they wrote it or or just like wrote some some impressions and it, the article had like maybe some uh, some mistakes in it as well like um, where you have to send them corrections so um, yeah that wasn't very impressive next question if you have to use only three apps on your phone rest of your life what will it be Oh my god, that's that, that's a hard one because because um, I use a lot of apps. Uh, I I would stick to uh, <laughs> to like first one would be like Facebook Messenger because that's where I communicate with video everywhere. Because in uh, in Middle East, actually, mm, in WhatsApp, you can't even get like a video call or uh, or a voice call. I'll probably use like a taxi app like Uber or Bolt because. Because I um, I don't own a car yet, and uh, Opera browser because it has everything. Hell yeah! Download Opera browser, guys. Come on, <laughs> yes. PewDiePie approves it. You deserve it. <laughs> Last question: If you were not a product manager, who would you be? Oh my god! I I, I sometimes think about that question, and I would be mm, enjoying to do like a physical job, like. Uh, um, more of like, um, yeah, I don't don't want to sit behind the computer all day. I would be happy to, I don't know, do some kind of uh, of like 
building things or putting things together. And Nice. So next section is fill in the yeah. sentence or fill in the blank. So I always wake up blank. I always wake up without drinking coffee. So um, I, um, I gave up drinking coffee uh, in the mornings. I only have coffees like between 12 and 2 p.m., just one coffee a day. Oh, wow. Okay. Blank is the worst internet browser. Let's go. <laughs> um, okay. Chrome. As a PM, I make yeah. sure I blank. Um, uh, I, I, um, I stick to my opinions more because it's not enough to listen to your customers. Like uh, we always talk about empathy, listening to your customers, but it's also very important that um, you, you have your own uh, point of view and then, um, or, or your vision about something and then you start working on it. And if, you, if, if it turns out to be wrong, right, you can always back off and say, hey, uh, I, uh, I thought about that. I thought it was a good idea and then I find myself wrong. But, uh, but yeah, I, um, I think trying to have more strong opinions is something I always uh, try to do in product. If I had dinner with my twin, Mohamed Salah, the football player, I would talk about blank. I would talk about how cute his two daughters are because they are they're always like um, in the in the in the stadium after after the match, and um, he was just playing with her and like pulling his her hair and and she was pulling it back. That was very funny. But but seriously, I would also tell him that uh, you know I, I would thank him um, not just because he's like a role model for us in Egypt. But also because of um, when he uh, led Egypt to the World Cup, anybody with the name Muhammad Salah had fifty percent discount in all restaurants and cafes in Egypt. So thank you, Muhammad. <laughs> no way. <laughs> nice. Okay. You nice, get a lot of perks because of that. Nice, nice. The lastly, my name is Mohammed, and I am blank. I am going to be father of a boy in two weeks, hopefully. Yes, yes. So uh, I already have a girl, so it's going to be a boy and girl. So that's going to be my second kid. Yes, yeah. Again, congrats to your uh, another child. And again, it's a, such a special episode because you have a baby due. But thank you so much for joining for our call. Mohammed. any last words um, before we end the podcast? Where can they find you? So, um, so yeah, I'm on, uh, on LinkedIn, I'm on uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm not so active on Twitter, but, uh, but I'm much more active on, uh, on LinkedIn. So, uh, so people, if they type Muhammad Salah, uh, opera, then they will find me. Just don't type Muhammad Salah because there are many of us. I used to write on Medium, but I'm not that active on it anymore. But, um, but I might, I might start actually, um, writing again soon. Mm-hmm. And that's all. If you enjoyed it and want to learn more about product leaders in the EU, like and subscribe. We're going to make this podcast together. So leave your thoughts below. What do you want to know? Who should we invite next? Check the latest updates and behind the scenes content on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as another product P. Yes, with a P at the end, another product P. 
you might find Enoch dancing there. Thanks for tuning in. This is David. See you in the next episode of another product podcast. Thanks, mom, for listening. <laughs> nice. I-